67th episode of the Atlas Society Asks. My name is Jennifer Anju Grossman. My friends know me as JAG. I am the CEO of the Atlas Society. We are the leading organization introducing young people to the ideas of Ayn Rand in fun, creative ways like our animated videos and graphic novels. Today, I am joined by my colleague and my friend, Antonella Marti. She's the CEO of Sociedad Atlas. We're gonna get into that and introduce her in a moment, but I just wanted to remind all of you who are joining us by Zoom or watching us on the various platforms we're live streaming, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and uh, Twitter. Um, you know them all at this point. Go ahead, start typing in your questions into the chat. We're going to get to as many of them as we can. Please make them short. Uh, and um, yeah, here we go. So uh, on May 1st of this year, Antonella joined the Outlet Society as a senior fellow and also as the CEO of Sociedad Atlas, which has fast become the leading organization in Latin America that is introducing that audience to the ideas of Ayn Rand through regular interviews, uh, social media videos, and our recent John Galt 2021 conference. Antonella is an Argentinian libertarian speaker and author. She's also the director of the Atlas Network for Latin America. She has written four books, The Populist Intellectual Dictatorship, What Every 21st uh, Century Revolutionary Needs to Know, um, and Capitalism, an Antidote to Poverty, which I have read in its original Spanish. Uh, and most recently, she wrote the libertarian hand, handbook, El Manuel Liberal. I'm very also excited that this is an interview that I'm doing with her in English, usually when we speak in Spanish, as we did a few months ago when we did an interview in Spanish that attracted over uh, 7,000 views across our various social media platforms. So um, I wanted to make sure that our English speaking audience had a chance to get to know Antonella uh, and hear her insights. So Antonella, Bienvenidos, welcome. Thank you, Jennifer. Thanks for having me. And thank you for your kind uh, introduction and uh, for inviting me to this conversation with the Atlas Society. Thank you uh, also uh, to the people listening on the other side of, of the screen. Yes, and I mentioned Antonella's uh, four books that she's written, but I am in the process of reading a fifth uh, that she managed to write in, in all of her spare time. I, I'm beginning to wonder if this woman doesn't doesn't sleep. Um, and that's going to be a, um, a Q&A, uh, frequently asked questions about objectivism. It's going to come out first in Spanish and, and then I hope in English as well. Uh, so Antonella, let's just start by setting the stage a bit about you. Tell us where you grew up, how did you become so passionate about the ideas of liberty in general? And also, of course, your, your Ayn Rand origin story. Well, as you, as you rightly pointed out, I was born in, in Argentina, a country where, uh, you know, the state has uh, grown 
decade after decade. Uh, more precisely, I was born in, uh, in the city of Rosario, a city where socialism has uh, flourished. And um, in fact, you know, Ernesto Che Guevara, one of the uh, killers and in, in, in one of the leaders of the Cuban revolution, he was born there, he was born in my city and, and the city is full of monuments with, with his face. You know, you can see Che Guevara everywhere. Um, and that's, that's always part of, of the hypocrisy of the socialists, right? Uh, who at some point condemn uh, some dictatorships uh, or some dictators and they defend uh, others. So uh, anyway, in the city of Rosario, there's a think tank called uh, Fundación Libertad. And about 12 or 13 years ago, while I was a student in, in international relations, I went to this uh, think tank for a training workshop on iLiberal ideas, um, where I heard um, you know, about the dangers of collectivism, populism, Marxism. And that gave me a lot of, I can say, a lot of tools for debates, a lot of information that, that in fact, in my university, uh, even though I was, at, I was, you know, going to a private university, I didn't hear this sort of ideas because in Latin America, you know, education is quite uh, controlled by, by the governments. And well, that's, that's how I started to get involved in this um, organization at, at, in Fundación Libertad. And uh, a year later, I started uh, the youth group within um, Fundación Libertad. Uh, the following year, I did an internship at Alice Network. And then at the Cato Institute, I think that was 2000. 11 or 2012 um but but from then on i you know started to write articles books i began to give conferences exposing what was going on or what was happening in latin america in argentina in venezuela cuba and um the problems uh, caused by by, by by socialism in the region and in about iran um one of the one of the first books that i read uh, more precisely, when I was 17 years old, uh, was the virtue of selfishness, la virtud del egoísmo, and I think that book it, it changed my life. It completely changed my life. Having contact with with this uh, kind of lecture at such a young age, um, and at such a crucial, you know, an important moment in my life that that changed that changed my my mentality forever, and. And with Ayn Rand, I understood the importance of uh, what she what she called uh, uh, rational egoism, right? El, el egoismo racional, the importance of of, of reason, uh, the importance of defending freedom against all kinds of collectivisms, and that's how you know more and more I went uh, deeper and deeper into these uh, ideas, and and I think Ayn Rand was was fundamental in in as we always say you know uh, very often one is introduced to to the world of of, of liberty ideas uh by the hand of, of of her books and her publications or or even her videos so that's that's how i i started with with this yes idea. yeah but interesting because often i'd say the vast majority are are introduced through her her fiction uh -huh. But there, there are, uh, you know, a, a handful that are um, first attracted, magnetized by the nonfiction, and it's usually yeah. the virtue of, yeah. of selfishness. Would... <laughs> and, and those are hardcore. Those are, you know, they, they don't like, oh, yeah, I, I read the virtue of selfishness. And then I just went on yeah. to, 
do other things. So, um, so that's, that's interesting, uh, that that is what first informed your views. And uh, mm -hmm. you and I recently were um, on the, the seminar that, that you organized, that Sociedad uh, Atlas organized um, in partnership with our friends at Fee and Espanol. Uh, and uh, that was amazing. I mean, Sociedad Atlas is, is just a few months old. Uh, we had, I think, roughly 360 uh, people that, that signed on that attended the two and a half hour conference. Um, and, uh, and I can say from, from personal experience, Antonella is someone, English or Spanish, uh, who really uh, understands sort of front and back and, and can speak with, with great uh, authority um, and profound understanding about, about objectivism. So um, I'm really excited about our, our work together at Sociedad Atlas. Tell us a little bit about your vision for Sociedad Atlas. Um, I know, of course, how it, how it began, but you know, you've brought so many really interesting speakers on your Instagram lives, uh, on the conversaciones, similar to this kind of format. Um, also, you know, the, the Instagram takeovers that, that you're doing mm -hmm. every week. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think um, Sociedad Atlas is growing super fast. And I think that this is something we really needed uh, in, you know, in Latin America, in countries like Venezuela, countries like Cuba, countries like even Mexico that now is, you know, falling into uh, this collectivist ideas with uh, Manuel Lopez Obrador with this president that they have, uh, populist president that, that, that they have in Mexico or even Peru, you know, that they they just elected this um, communist president called Pedro Castillo. And I think I think there there are a lot of things to do in, in Latin America. And I think Sociedad Atlas is is going to be um, vital for, you know, for for this 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 kind of battles that we we need to to give in in the region. So um, so yeah, just like you said, we're we're growing super fast, and I'm and I'm very very excited about all the things that and all the projects that that that, that are about to 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 come. Uh, so so yeah. Yeah, and I I think we got an unexpected kind of boost recently with what uh, happened in in Cuba uh, mm -hmm. and. Antonella and I spoke also uh, together recently at Freedom Fest in South Dakota. Um, Antonella gave uh, a speech as at the opening ceremony of, of Freedom Fest um, about what was happening, what is happening in Cuba, and also about um, the situation in Latin America overall. Um, also. Thanks to, to Antonella and also to uh, Vanessa Porras, who is our Director of Strategy and Outreach for Sociedad Atlas. Um, they put us in touch with the producer for the uh, song Patria y Vida. For those of you who don't know, uh, Patria y Vida has become the anthem of the Cuban uprising. Mm -hmm. it, it really grew out of the, uh, the San Isidro movement in, in Cuba. Um, so talk to us a little bit, uh, Antonella, about what you know in terms of um, what is, is going on in, uh, in Cuba right now, uh, to the best of your understanding, and 
I know they've cut off uh, internet access for, mm -hmm. for the people there. Uh, so what do you think the prospects are for freedom going forward? Yeah, and I think it's also very important to talk a little, a little bit about the, the history of Cuba and what's, what's happening in Cuba and how, um, you know, the entire world, the entire region, we, we are, we're not, you know, we're, we're just thinking about Cuba like it's just a simple country or another country, but the real problem of Latin America is right there, is in Cuba, because you cannot understand Venezuela if you don't understand what's going on in Cuba, because Venezuela is a consequence of mm. doing basically nothing with uh, with this dictatorship, you know, a dictatorship that you know has been there for more than sixty two years. So um, you know that on on January first in nineteen fifty nine, Fidel uh, Castro and and even Raúl Castro, they you know together with with Che Guevara, we were talking about Che Guevara a few minutes ago, uh, but they backed by by the Soviet Union, they took control of Cuba, replacing basically one dictatorship with uh, another with another dictatorship, and they just took power. And the thing is that um, that dictatorship remains in place today. But in that time, um, you know, newspapers were confiscated, companies were expropriated, communications were monitored, and you know, Marxism at some point was was introduced to the island. And Che Guevara, this this uh, this killer, he ran La Cabaña, that it was a, a detention center where torture and executions uh, took place. And uh, as you know, the firing the firing squads were for basically everyone, right? Uh, Anti-communist, uh, anti-revolutionaries, Afro-Cubans, homosexuals, and anyone who, who didn't fit the idea of, of um, you know, the, the Marxist new man, right? Uh, so when the Soviet Union fell, uh, the same happened with, with the Soviet subsidy that Cuba was receiving from, from the, the Soviet Union. But by then, the Castros, and basically Fidel Castro, um, they had, you know, absolute power. And that's when uh, Fidel Castro and Lula da Silva, Lula da Silva is the former president of Brazil and one of the most corrupt politicians in, in, in the history of the Latin America and even the world, uh, but they founded El Foro de Sao Paulo, like the Sao Paulo Forum. And today that's also, you know, affiliated with, with the Grupo de Puebla, with Manuel Lopez Obrador from Mexico, Pedro Castillo from Peru, and, and even Alberto Fernandez from Argentina, and of course, Nicolás Maduro from, from Venezuela. But the thing is, what happens next, right? Because Venezuela replaces the Soviet Union. And through the process of the Bolivarian Revolution executed by, by Hugo Chavez, it becomes a, the, like the money machine, thanks obviously to, to sky high you know, petrol prices um, that oxygenates the Castro regime. And all this, you know, added, if, if you want to you know, add other things that, that, that are involved there, um, you know, the business of Islamic terrorism, uh, the relations with Hezbollah and Hamas, the role of drug trafficking, because I think that's a consequence of a failed war on drugs in Latin America. And of course, the Marxist guerrillas of Colombia, such as uh, Las Farc and, and ELN, ELN, and you know that they are all enemies of, of, of the free world. But if you go to the history of Cuba, you will see that before the revolution, Cuba's uh, per capita income was equal to that of Spain and, and higher than that of Puerto Rico. 
And today it is six times less uh, than Spain and five times less than, than Puerto Rico. So if you want, you know, even more examples, um, you can see that before Castro, uh, Cuba was the largest sugar producer in the world. And today it produces only as much as it did in, in the 19th century. But just maybe just one, one small detail for, for those who, who argue that, that Cuba is poor because of a blockade or, or the embargo. Um, you know, Cuba is poor because it's communist. Um, and in fact, the United States, uh, the United States is uh, Cuba's sixth uh, largest uh, trading partner when it comes to, to imports, which explains that there is no such thing as a, as a blockade or an embargo. And if we appeal to, I mean, if we appeal to the meaning of the term, right, but in 2020 alone, the U.S. exported 157 million in food products to Cuba, uh, second only to, to Brazil, who sold 158 or 59 million. So uh, the thing is that there are trade sanctions, uh, sanctions in which I think, in fact, it it don't completely prohibit trade between the US and Cuban companies. Um, but if the question is uh, whether we should end those actions or not, I think the answer is yes, because it serves uh, the Cuban regime as a very convenient excuse or even an, an argument to explain the, the misery that, that the same regime has caused with, with its Marxist policies. So Cuba is poor because it, it doesn't want to trade with the world. It, it, it doesn't have a, a productive sector that generates uh, wealth, you know, because, you know, incentives were basically destroyed when, when private property was abolished in Cuba. So um, to give you another example, the average salary of a Cuban is about $13 a month. Hopefully, um, if, if you want to buy, I don't know, a liter, a liter of milk in Cuba, if you can buy it, uh, it costs about three dollars and 250 um, uh, grams of, uh, of, um, of cheese, for example, if you if we want to, to see this, this kind of, of, of things, it costs thirty dollars. So to buy a kilo of meat, for example, assuming it, it is available, it would cost you about three and a half months of income. So Cubans are in prison, they are tortured, they are you know, killed or they even disappear for dissenting and questioning um, an authority that I think is uh, illegitimate and, and of course is immoral. Um, but after all, Cuba is a, is a country in the world with, with the highest rate of, of imprisonment uh, for political crimes, political crimes, right? That's, that's what the regime calls the fact of, of thinking uh, differently, but but now, as you mentioned, we see these protests and rallies inside and even outside the island, um, and the entire world, I think, finally seems to be turning its eyes on on Cuba after after what more than half a century uh, of silence to the suffering of a of a community that is subjected to to one of the long longest uh, tyrannies uh, we have known in in, in human civilization. So that's 62 years, Jennifer, 62 years. Uh, and, and there are many factors that I think can explain the, the awakening of, of the Cuban people. We can start from, I always say two points of inflection. First, the humanitarian crisis that Cubans have been suffering for these six decades and which of course has been aggravated by the COVID-19 crisis. Um, but second, there's this, this song that you mentioned, and, and I think that's very important because Patria y Vida, it changed the, the, the entire situation 
in, in Cuba. Um, so Padre Vida at some point came to, you know, irritate the, the regime uh, to wake up the island and to raise the voice of, of Cubans who have been asking, you know, for freedom for more than half a century and that are brutally repressed by a system that, that operates all over all over Latin America. So, um, so yeah, six decades, uh, six decades later, um, Cuban musicians like like Michael Osorbo and Jotuel, and December Bueno, and, and even Gente de Zona, they courageously challenge um, this regime and, and awaken uh, a feeling of, of freedom never seen before in, in, in this history. So this, I think this may be the beginning of the end of a very long history of, of suffering, uh, hunger, exile, and, and even death. And I think we really, we really need to, to spread the message about what's happening in Cuba right now. So that's, that's basically what's, what's going on uh, there right now. Yeah, you know, it's, um, it's interesting. And I want to make sure that our, our viewers don't miss the fact that we are bringing to our gala on November 4th in Malibu. We're honoring Peter Thiel and, and uh, we have Palmer Lockie uh, speaking as well as we've long ago announced. Um, but just a few days ago, we got the word that um, the, the three or four artists who are in exile, who are not um, in, imprisoned as political dissidents in Cuba. So um, I think uh, El Funky and Osorbo are the ones that are in jail right now in, in Cuba. And so we have Gente de Zona, December Bueno and Yotuel who are going to be making that trip and who are going to be performing that song live at our, at our gala. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting as you described, what was, what was this spark? And uh, I, you know, this, this San Cedro uh, movement that, that happened, it was because of art. It, it really is a testament to the, um, the power of, of art, the role of art in um, inspiring people, waking people up uh, and showing them, a, you know, a, a different future, a different possibility. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, one, one of the branches of, you know, uh, objectivist philosophy, right? The importance of, of art and, you know, to keep promoting ideas. Yeah, I, I, but you know, it's one thing to to kind of understand it philosophically and intellectually. We uh, all understand it in terms of the the power of Ayn Rand's fiction and and how that helped us to see the world uh, and see ourselves in a, in a different light. But then to to see, you know, as as the the words of that song, you know, uh, sixty well sixty one years because I, I guess it, it came out. Um, last year, and uh, the the dominoes have have fallen. So it's really amazing. So you know, we spoke about the uh, the uh, trade sanctions a, a little bit. What uh, what do you think the role of the United States should should be? Um, you know, there are, there are some that that would like us to take a more active role or at least allow uh, American citizens to, to provide more support and aid. Um, 
What's your view? Well, when it comes to, to like economic support or even aid, I don't think that's a, that's a solution to Latin American problems because that's, you know, we, we are even paying the consequences of that with, with corrupt politicians that, that take all that money and they just do nothing with US, uh, you know, funds that, that go to, uh, to Latin America. But what I think is that we should keep promoting um, free markets. We should keep promoting um, this kind of, of, of ideas and even the idea of rule of law. I think, I think the US history has a lot of, of things to, um, to teach. To, to Latin American institutions and to Latin American politicians. You know, we, in Latin America, in the region, we basically don't understand the importance of rule of law. And if you don't understand the importance of rule of law, I mean, that's, that's why we are doing that bad in, in Latin America. But when it comes to maybe, you know, to see the, 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 the relationship between the United States and, and Latin America, even when, when we see the, the changes with you know different administrations and different governments, you know even though they're Democrats or Republicans or whatever, I never see like like big changes there. I think and, and if when it comes to the last you know two decades, at some point I think U.S. policy towards uh, Latin America has always been very very similar. And um, I mean regardless you know to you know of the type of of, of administration and if if the United States. This is something I always say, but if the United States had wanted to, um, they, I think they, they, they would have done something about Cuba or Venezuela a long, long time ago. I mean, they had uh, the opportunity to do something with Venezuela, but it didn't happen. So I think the solution for our countries in, in Latin America, it has you know, to come from, from within uh, our countries. It, it should come from, from inside and you know inside latin america and i think that maybe interventions or even military interventions haven't worked in the region and i think and this is i think this is so so very important because those kind of interventions have placed the image of the united states or or even capitalism as a great evil um when in fact it is not and I think we, we, we really need to learn from, from the institutions that made the United States uh, this amazing uh, experiment of, of, of liberty and the institutions and, and the values that even Ayn Rand admired from, from the founding fathers and um, that you know, have been, I think, lost over the, the decades as, as, as we have seen you know, the size of, of the United States government uh, increasing. So I want to remind all of you who are watching to, um, to ask your questions of Antonella. You can ask them in English or in, in Spanish um, because uh, this is, I'm not going to say this is a rare opportunity, uh, maybe a, a, an opportunity at least to have her in English because every week she's, she's doing interviews um, for Sociedad Atlas in, uh, in Spanish. Um, so go ahead, type your questions into the chat and we will get to them, as many of them as, as we can. Uh, Antonella, what's, what's the coverage been of, uh, of Cuba and the situation there in, uh, in the rest of Latin America? I mean, is it, is it markedly different than what you're seeing in the United States? I mean, you talked about sort of there are 
satellite countries or countries that are on this, this axis supporting each other. So how do they view events in Cuba? Well, I think, and I, and I always say this, because I think that, and even the history, you know, it, it, uh, it makes us understand the importance of see Cuba as what it really is. And in the region, we don't understand the impact of Cuba's policies, uh, you know, all over these 62 years of, of, of dictatorship. We, we were, you know, thinking that, well, Cuba, that's just a tiny island. What, what can happen there? It's just nothing's going to happen. They, they don't have that power. But then you see, as I told you, they, then you see Venezuela. And to understand Venezuela, you have to understand Cuba because Venezuela is just another consequence of Cuba. Um, right now, when it comes to, to the people that, you know, you know who is empowering in, 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 in a country like Venezuela, Nicolás Maduro, Diosdado Cabello, all these, um, these, these, these dictators, um, and even Hugo Chavez. I mean, when you, when you study the history of, uh, and, 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 you know, when you see the events of, of uh, Hugo Chavez through the history of, of, of Venezuela and even Latin America, um, basically, it's like Fidel Castro made Hugo Chavez. Fidel Castro made um, Lula da Silva, the Kirchners, uh, Rafael este, in, 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 in Ecuador, uh, Evo Morales in Bolivia. So it's everything starts in Cuba. And, and, and why I say this? Because they have uh, what I call, or what we can call the, the, the modus operandi um, that they that they uh, took from from the Soviet Union, right? And that's how they, you know, they know what to do and they know how to keep the power and they know how to manipulate institutions and they know how to control your mind. Um, so, I mean, it's 62 years after 62 years of, of the same people, the same government, the same regime. It's like, there's nothing you can do. Um, so I, I, I really think that this kind of protests uh, with, with Patria y Vida and people, you know, trying to, to face this dictatorship, that's, that's very important because this is something we, we, don't, see, we don't see very often um, in Cuba, in Cuba, because in Venezuela, they protest every, basically every single year, um, but nothing changes, nothing changes because they, you know, this regime has absolute power and there's like a, like a handbook of, you know, uh, how to take power in Latin America. So you start, um, you know, demonizing the, the entrepreneur, you start, uh, you know, attacking the institutions, attacking um, the, the media. And, and, and it's like, it's like, they just do the same in every single country. And they learned that uh, from from Cuba, because Cuba learned that from uh, from the Soviet Union. So that's, that's basically the, 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 the problem that that we have so, so Latin America, I think, is a is in, in in a constant game of of bad governments. Sometimes it seems that we see the light, um, but that only you know it lasts for a while, and 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 that happens because we have a collectivist or a dogmatic mentality uh, full of you know mysticism, paternalism, aestheticism. Um, you know, we, we, we became dependent 
on the government. And we believe that everything has to be solved by the government. We think that the government should be there for, you know, anything. The government is the solution to every single problem that we have in Latin America. So if you have a problem, if you don't, you know, if you cannot find, you know, an, an, an employee or employment or something, it's just the government is going to give you the solution. So, but, so but what like practical, uh, I mean, at this point, you know, with even Venezuela previously having subsidized these uh, countries like Cuba with oil revenues. Mm -hmm. Now it's, you know, Atlas Shrugged in Venezuela yeah. and the engineers have fled or they're teaking English on Itaki to people like me. Uh, so they're, they're, you know, they're importing uh, uh, petrol from, from Iran and, and, and from other countries. So um, I, I guess, you know, in, in what way, like specifically are, is, is Cuba leading to these other outcomes? Because it's, it's clear at this point that, I mean, the economy has failed, that, that people are living in poverty. Uh, you know, the, the Biden administration early on tried to say that oh, these protests are are just about uh, lack of access to vaccines. And it was such a shocking uh, lie uh, in terms of what the real motive for the pro protests were that you almost forgot to ask the question, hmm, wait a second, wait, wasn't this the country with the, the nationalized healthcare uh, that's supposed to be providing all of the healthcare needs? Why would there be uh, vaccine you know, shortages? And, in that country. So my question is like, what is government in these countries providing? I mean, are people getting housing? Are they getting, you know, healthcare? Are they, are they getting jobs um, that are given by the government? Like, what actually are they, even if it's a very minimal level of, of assistance, because it almost seems like they come in promising, and maybe they're able to fulfill that promise, for a few years, but then things are, you know, completely falling apart. Yeah, they don't even they don't even receive uh, assistance or or big, you know, subsidies or even solutions or even healthcare or housing or whatever. It's just this kind of of regimes. You know what they do? They um, and even communist regimes. And this is something they have done in every single country in you know, every single experience of, of communism, they follow, you know, Antonio Gramsci, this uh, Italian communist um, that he was, he, he used to talk about the, the, the cultural battle and how uh, the communists needed to, you know, get power by controlling education and controlling, um, you know, the media and, and what people think. So that's basically what, what they do in, in Latin America. That's basically what, what Cuba is doing right now in, 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 the, in, in the country and in, in the rest of, of, of the region. Um, so they try to, to, you know, create another reality. So you may, you know, you maybe think that, that that's basically what's, what's good. Right. So that's the only thing, you know, the only thing, you know, is that, you know, Cuba is uh, fighting, you know, against imperialism and fighting against the, 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 the evil of, you know, 
that that the United States represents for them. Uh, so they, it's it's a very populist um, way uh, of of you know understanding uh, power in, in in Latin America. Um, they are constantly uh, finding an enemy. Uh, from inside and outside. So it's always, you know, it could be, I don't know, capitalism, globalization, the markets, uh, the, I don't know, the, the, the entrepreneurs, uh, the media, and it's, it's always attacking someone. They always need to find an, an, an enemy, um, you know, when, when it comes to their, uh, their speech, they just always mention an enemy. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's a very populist uh, dynamic of, of executing uh, power and of course, anti-democratic. So, so as I, I was telling you that, that we believe in Latin America that, that everything has to be solved um, by the government and, and that's not right. And I think that's a problem because we, have, we even have weak institutions. We have governments that they just do whatever they want. Venezuela, for example, they uh, has already had um, uh, 27 constitutions. I mean, can you imagine that the United States has uh, 27 different constitutions? I mean, that's that's just crazy. That's changing, uh, you know, the, the the rules of the game basically every single day. Um, but as we always say, even even if you if you live in Latin America and you want to, you know, live to I don't know another another country in Latin America, that's basically. I mean, immigrating in Latin America is like changing ship uh, cabins uh, on the Titanic because sooner or later you drown. It's uh, it's always. I mean, that's why the exodus of of people leaving the region, you know, looking for 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 other places, is something that happens all the time. I mean, even if even if you see what's going on in Venezuela and people, you know, leaving um, the country and 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 Venezuelans, you know, they don't go to Cuba. They don't go to Argentina. I mean, they just try to escape to countries where they see that that they can find institutions um, that are able to protect, uh, you know, property rights uh, or even the, the 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 their you know the money in the investments that that they have. Um, so yeah, I think unfortunately we we keep making bad choices in in Latin America, but that's also a you know, a problem that we have with, with the, this big government mentality that, that we have and that, that, we, that we believe, because we believe that the, the lies of, of this kind of, of, of governments that try to manipulate uh, the reality and they want to, you know, create a, a parallel uh, reality. Um, so that's, that's, that's part of, 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 of the populist game, I think. So we have a, a question uh, from YouTube. Scott is, uh, appreciates the work that, that we're doing. Um, wants to know what kind of what kind of evidence are you seeing for um, Ayn Rand's influence in in Latin America? Uh, you know, like where are we starting from? How mm. does it grow? Well, I think Ayn Rand is. Her ideas are, are very important in, in Latin America. And I see young people, you know, you know, even every single day, uh, I, I, I receive a lot of, of messages from, from people, you know, uh, in, in Latin America that, that they, just, they just love 
Ayn Rand when they discover uh, her 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 ideas, and and the, I think that's important because she she promoted the importance of, of of private sector of the private sector, and that's something we don't do in Latin America because we keep punishing uh, the the you know the successful people that that we have in the region. I mean, if you're an entrepreneur and you have a you know your your own your own business and you, you know, give a lot of, um, you know, when you create, even when you create wealth in Latin America, they just see that as a, as a bad thing. It's, it's, you know, creating wealth. That's, that's just bad. You just don't have to do that in Latin America. And if, I mean, if we have that mentality and if we think that, that the way to, you know, to solve poverty is by uh, redistributing uh, wealth and, you know, you know, creating new taxes and um, more regulations and more bureaucracy, I mean, we will never, we will never, you know, get a, a, a better a better region. Um, so so that's I always say this because I think that's a, 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 a problem that we have with this big government um, mentality. But I think I think her ideas are 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 growing super fast in in Latin America, and I think that uh, the this challenge that we have at, at Sociedad Atlas is is, is very important. Um, yeah, because you know, I think now, one of the, the things that I, I know we're both hoping to do is that, in, you know, in the past, um, the, the efforts to introduce people have been maybe a little bit more academic. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's been about promoting the books, which at the end of the day, that, that's what we want uh, as, as well. And, and there are new editions uh, of Ayn Rand's books in Spanish, which we're really excited about. But if you also look at the data in terms of, of book purchasing and, and literacy and, and reading habits in, in Latin America, that might suggest that that is, is not uh, the, the primary way that, that you wanna go. Um, mm -hmm. and, um, and then also just given the fact that we're, we're starting from a, a, a baseline of virtually zero in, in terms of awareness. I, I think that um, the social media memes that, that you're putting out, the animated videos, um, and broadening it also as well to, to not just be about mm -hmm. Ayn Rand, but also about classical liberalism um, as well. So we have another question here from uh, Paolo Geyer and uh, on YouTube, he asks, how long until the Cuba Cuban government will will fall, the, the pandemic and popular demonstrations are exposing a weak government, so. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a that's a, 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 a big question. Um, we never know, it, it could happen, you know, tomorrow or in 10 years, uh, but, you know, this kind of, of, of dictators, you know, this kind of, of, of uh, big governments and, and, and communist regimes, you know, it could fall apart any moment, any time. So I think it's all about you know keep keep telling the world what's what's going on in in in, in the region. I mean we, and even in Argentina, I mean we're we're facing a big a huge problem with uh, with big government. Um, but you have you know to to add this thing to 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 the equation because it's 
big government, weak institutions. Uh, we don't have free markets. It's all about you know protectionism and and Keynesianism and all these these horrible and you know ideas that uh, that destroy the incentives that destroy uh, the, the the creation of of, of wealth. But um, Argentina is a is a case that I always like to mention because. Argentina used to be a very prosperous country. You know, the, 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 the famous and the prosperous Argentina of the 19th century was one of the richest countries in, in the world, you know. Uh, and at, at some point it, it, it owed uh, much of, of its early success to the ideas of, of Juan Bautista Alberdi. I always like to talk about about Juan Bautista Alberdi because you know this political uh, philosopher he was hugely uh, influential in the in the drafting of the the 1853 uh, constitution of Argentina a constitution that in fact uh, it was based on on the ideas um, you know of, of the constitution of the United States of America and we in Argentina we did well as a country when we you know, we bet on um, good ideas when we understood the importance of, of rule of law and free markets. And, and when we understood the importance of, you know, of opening ourselves to, um, to the world. But much of that growth and not only in the agricultural sector, because that's important, but much of this growth that Argentina saw, it was driven by, by foreign investment in the country. And now we don't have that. We don't even have that in, in, in the rest of the countries in Latin America, because, I mean, if you think, I don't know, if you're an entrepreneur or uh, if you have a big amount of, of wealth and you want to invest in a country and, you know, you see that, I don't know, you see a country like Venezuela that already had this uh, 27 constitutions or Argentina that, I mean, you have to be every single day trying to, understand what's going to happen and uh, what our president is going to do tomorrow and how he's going to, you know, to change your your plans. Um, so it's like you don't invest in a country like that. You just you put your money where you, you think that is going to be, you know, uh, protected. Right. Uh, because, you know, investment, it likes uh, to, to, to ability. Yeah, absolutely. So so. Uh, it, the mid 1940s arrival into power of, of, of Juan Domingo Perón and, and his ideology, you know, Peronism, uh, which is usually simply, you know, described uh, as a as populist, but is I always say is better uh, seen as a, a variant of, 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 of fascism, right? Because he he really admired Benito Mussolini in Italy. Um, so Peronism drove Argentina, just like Chavismo did in, in Venezuela or Castrismo did in, in Cuba. Uh, Peronism drove Argentina into poverty and, and became basically you know, the basis of a political system which is still in place um, today in the country. So uh, to understand Juan Domingo Perón, is important to remember that he was an admirer of Benito Mussolini and, and you know, fascism, of course, by extension, 
but he spent time in Mussolini's Italy, ex, you know, ex experiencing fascism um, firsthand, and he was fascinated by the figure of, of, of El Duce. Uh, so, so uh, when he returned to Argentina after his visit, uh, his visit to to Italy, um, Perón was put in charge of, um, you know, the, the Secretario of, of Labor and, and Social Security, and and he used. You know that position to promote the interests of uh, the trade unions, and he cemented uh, an alliance with the unions, including importantly the, the powerful uh, railway workers uh, union, and that was to be you know critical both in the in the shaping of Peronism and and its hold on on power. Uh, in fact, membership of, of of the trade unions grew from just over uh, half a million in, in 1945 to nearly 2 million in 1949. So Perón, he just took power and now we just have the same people there. Uh, in, in Argentina, if you want to win an election, you just have to say you are a Peronist and they will vote you. Hmm. Uh, so, so it's all about big government, always about big government. Well, we, we hope at some point, you know, we did um, one of our most popular Draw My Life videos, uh, My Name is Venezuela, which uh, reached over a million views in English. Um, we have it in Spanish, and I believe we're about to come out with it as well in, in Portuguese. Um, Phil, Phil Coates, uh, supporter of the Atlas Society, thank you. Um, he is asking us on Zoom, why rammed in Latin America uh, rather than in Europe or East Asia or South Africa or South Asia or Africa, uh, more potential in that region? Well, I can, I can take a crack at that, Phil. So um, first of all, we are translating um, our, our videos into other uh, languages in those markets. And in fact, the all-time record for an Atlas Society Draw My Life video is 8 million views, uh, and that was from an Arabic translation, but they are translated into Japanese, into Vietnamese, um, and uh, Portuguese, uh, French, uh, German. So we, we are not neglecting the rest of the world, but in terms of, of Latin America, um, I think that it was an easy um, choice for us not just because we did an experiment and we saw that uh, that they, they did really well, but it's our neighbor, you know, so it's right here. And I think that there is a, a self-interest for America to have good relations uh, with with our neighbors um, as well. There, um, there are a lot of uh, people who emigrated uh, from Latin America to the United States. So there's a cultural affinity. Um, we have Enrique on our team, whose uh, family is from is from Mexico, um, and I, I think that while there are a lot of cultural differences, uh, there is still enough commonality between our cultures that you know um, we we have not just the geographic barrier, uh, but you know we we also we, in some other countries um, there would be also very big cultural barriers as well that we'd be trying to overcome. And we have Antonella. So, you know, it's a kind of a no-brainer. <laughs> um, so, yes, um, another question we have here, uh, you 
had talked a little bit about uh, reg regulations. Um, and uh, we have a question. Phil was asking us earlier, he doesn't have much of a problem explaining what the welfare state is and what's wrong with it, but he has uh, difficulty in explaining what the regulatory state is and what is wrong with it in, in contrast. Uh, Antonella, you wanna take a crack at that? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that, um, and, and this, is, this is a way to understand, uh, to understand Latin America, right? Because the governments that we have, they keep going you know, into this path of uh, new regulations and uh, bureaucracy and this big government that they just keep you know, creating and they increase the size of, of, of the government. But, but I want to relate this, this question you know, in, to the idea of, of Argentina and the, 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 what we call the, the, the corporatism, right? That it's all about, all about control because, um, and it happened in Argentina, you know, when we basically peronizamos, we peronized uh, um, the, the state, you know, universities, uh, the media, it's, it's like everywhere. And they do that through regulations. They do that through new laws. Um, so now you see, for example, you know, university professors um, in, in, in Latin America or even in Argentina, uh, they just keep promoting these kind of ideas because we have a, an a, a education, um, the system that we have in, in Latin America is controlled by, by the government. They just decide what you what you study or what you don't study. Um, so so it's all about that. And in, 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 in Argentina, when when Juan Domingo Perón, when he was alive, uh, you know, university professors who didn't support him were basically fired. Um, and then, you know, we saw the, the import uh, restrictions uh, increasing in Argentina, then, you know, the, the how they destroyed the rule of law, because you see the Supreme Court um, in that moment, it lost uh, its, its autonomy. And then, you know, all this big number of, of opposition leaders and, and politicians that, that, that were in prison, and it, it, it still happens, it, it keeps happening all the time in every single experiment of, of populism, that that you that you see in, in, in Latin America. So um, so when you increase the size of the state through this kind of regulations, that's how you destroy uh, the incentives of you know the people who just want to you know live their life and they just don't want to you know receive something from the state, thinking that you know we, we always have to remember this because when when we say oh yeah I I receive money from the state or I receive a subsidy from the state. That's not that's not the state because there is no such thing as a, a state money. It's always taxpayers' money. Um, so the government can get you know it has different ways to 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 get the money that they will use to you know to to give the subsidies and start with with this uh, populist uh, in redistributing uh, I, in policies. Uh, so it's all about, you know, debt, that is never good. Uh, then you have um, like like the, the first consequence of, of, of um, printing money that is in inflation, that we see that in every single country in, in Latin America. I mean, Venezuela is a, 
I don't know, basically a million percent of, of inflation. Argentina is 50%. Um, and, and that's something that we always see. And then you have taxation. So the government, it, I mean, governments, they, they just don't create wealth. They just, they just have the, you know, the chance to, you know, get money from other people because they just, they, they, that's the way they do it. That's their modus operandi. They just live from another people uh, if they want to, you know, keep promoting uh, their, their, their populist ideas. And I always say that if it was, you know, if, if subsidies are the solution to poverty, um, well, Venezuela or Argentina should be the richest countries in the world. But they are not because that's not that's not the solution. I mean, you solve poverty by uh, creating wealth, not by destroying wealth or destroying or demonizing uh, the 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 entrepreneurs. So so it's it's all about that. It's all about big governments and and the way they you know uh, even the way they expand uh, public expenditure. I mean, in Argentina, it happened in 1946. Um, uh, it, it amounted to, to 25% of, of GDP. Um, and, and in 1948, it was 42% of the GDP. And that was Peronism. That's, that's what they did. And in public spending, well, yeah, we can say that we just can't keep promoting uh, this political ideas and the, 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 the party of uh, public expenditure, but someone has to pay it. And the, the one who pay for that, that's you. I mean, that's, it's always the taxpayers. Yes, well, and the position that we are advancing at Sociedad Atlas and the Atlas Society is Ayn Rand's recommendation of a complete separation of economy and state uh, for the same reasons um, as the separation of church and state. And so whether or not it is uh, a government intrusion in terms of redistribution as in welfare or in terms of regulation, we just had a live example for the past couple of years of the regulatory state of you can work, you can't work, you're essential, you know, so, and, and we'll see how well that's gone. Now, we are out of time. We've got uh, just, just a couple of minutes. I want to encourage those of you um, who are watching us to please come and join us on uh, November 4th in Malibu, uh, where we're going to be honoring Peter Thiel, and also we're going to have this incredible performance, live performance of the anthem of the Cuban uprising, Patria y Vida, and, and right before that, uh, Antonella. We, she and I have to catch up, but, um, but, but I think the plan is that, uh, that she's going to do a roundtable discussion with some of, some of the artists and, and delve a little bit deeper uh, into some of the ideas that we've discussed today. So Antonella, thank you very much um, for, for joining us. Thank you, Jennifer, it was a pleasure. And, and thanks all of you. And as always, if you are enjoying uh, the work of the Atlas Society and wanna support uh, as well our efforts in Latin America under Antonella Marti's leadership, please consider making a tax deductible donation. We will put that link to donate into the, the chat box and, uh, and we will see you next week when I'm going to be interviewing uh, Robert Krasinski, 
of, uh, of the Trusinski letter. And, uh, and we will see you then. So thank you, Antonella, and thanks, everyone.